0: Today's scripture reading is from Luke chapter five, verses one through 11. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid, from now on you'll be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, College Park. How are we doing today? Doing good? Excited to preach this passage today uh, and serve us in this way for week number two in a row. And so why don't we go to the Lord in prayer and dedicate our time. God, we pause to acknowledge your sovereignty. God, we realize that no one in this room is here by chance. God, that you have planned and ordained this moment for all of us in this room to sit under your word of Luke chapter five. And we pray now, God, as our Bibles are opened, God, that our hearts will be open as well, that we might see Jesus lifted high. God, that he would be exalted so high today that our hearts will be stirred to following him. But I pray that you'd help us to walk out of this place different. We pray in your name, amen. If you see something, say something. It's exactly what you'll see on signs everywhere in and around the New York City subway stations. I read about how these signs are a part of a public relations campaign meant to encourage citizens to be on the watch for potential terrorists, that if a member of the public observes something suspicious, he or she is encouraged to notify the authorities. This way, New York will be better equipped to dealing with potential terrorists. But since its inception, there's only been one problem, is that it doesn't work. In fact, not a single terrorist has been caught as a result of this campaign. Well, why? Well, the reason why it hasn't worked is because no one in New York City knows what normal behavior is supposed to look like. (laughs) And if you've ever been to New York City, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You've got people walking around with their art projects, with wires sticking out, people wearing eccentric pieces of clothing, all kinds of suspicious behavior going around New York City. Therefore, people can't call in and notify what suspicious behavior they see because they don't know. New York City needs a new understanding of what normal behavior looks like. Now, that's not only true for the people of New York City, but it's also true for many who claim to be followers of Jesus in what they, in what they believe to be the normal Christian life. That I would argue that in the minds of many— who claim to be followers of Jesus, they have the wrong understanding of what the normal Christian life looks like. That for many who claim to be followers of Jesus, the normal Christian life is okay with the Jesus saving them from hell, but not with that same Jesus telling them how to live their life. That for many, they're okay with Jesus being Lord over one compartment of their life, but they refuse to allow Jesus to be Lord over every area of their life. For many they're okay with Jesus being master over their Sundays but not master over Monday through Saturday. That I want to present today that we we need a new kind of normal, a, a new understanding of what the Christian life actually looks like. That when we claim to have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ, what's the typical response? What does the normal Christian life look like after we experience the person of Jesus Christ? The purpose of Luke chapter 5, 1 through 11, our passage today, is to secure for Luke's audience the nature of an appropriate response to the ministry of Jesus. This passage gives us a picture of a normal, appropriate response to Jesus and what it means to follow him. The mission statement at this church is to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. That that's why we exist. That we want to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. And and this passage gives us a beautiful picture of what that actually looks like when we follow him. And so as we look at this passage together today, we're going to be confronted with a question. A question that that we cannot escape as we we continue to move through our passage. And, And here's the question for us today. Have you had a similar experience in your own life as these early disciples? Have you had an encounter with Jesus where he has changed the trajectory of your life? Have you had that type of experience with Jesus where you can no longer squeeze him into the compartment of Sunday mornings only? Have you had that type of encounter with him where he has changed your life and continues to change your life? As we walk through this passage, I want to point out for us four sections that will frame what a normal Christian life looks like. And so let's begin with number one. First section here comes in verses one through three, a normal day, normal day. Now let's talk a little bit about what Jesus has been doing in his earthly ministry here up until this point that we know in chapter four, that he has already begun his earthly ministry. He's been preaching in the synagogue. He's been performing miracles and healings and casting out demons. And in fact, Jesus' popularity has been growing immensely. that we read in chapter four, verse 37, and reports about him, Jesus, went out into every place in the surrounding region. that he was so popular that Luke informs us that the people wanted to keep Jesus for themselves. So then he says in chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Now this verse provides the very reason why we find Jesus at the lake of Gennesaret in chapter 5 of our passage. Our passage here opens up and says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Lake of Galilee. Now, what occasion is this? Well, the occasion here provides an example of Jesus doing the very thing that he claimed was his purpose for coming, that he was preaching the word of God. Now, if you notice in these first couple of verses, several different kind of verbs are being used here. There's a lot of movement going on, a lot of activity And yet, I want to point out that despite all of the movement going on here, that Jesus still maintains his authority. That as he teaches the people by a lake, the people are listening. In chapter 4, as he was teaching in the synagogue, a completely different setting, the people were listening. That Jesus still has his authority here in chapter 5. Now, as we look at these first couple verses... What's so unusual about them? What immediately jumps out to you? Well, what should immediately jump out to you is how aggressive these crowds were. The crowds were pressing in on Jesus to the point where he has to get in a boat and preach from there. It's almost like these crowds are being depicted as a bunch of teenagers at a Justin Bieber concert. They just continue to crowd Jesus. Have you ever considered why? Why are they crowding him? Well, the crowds have identified a correct need within their souls. That deep down, they need the word of God. And so they begin to crowd in on Jesus. Today, do you believe that your greatest need is to position your soul under the word of God and to feast? Do you believe that today? That our greatest need is not to be comfortable Our greatest need is not to achieve the American dream. That our greatest need is not to have our best life now. But our greatest need is to see the person of Jesus Christ in the word of God, which satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. The crowd, this is why they were pressing in on Jesus. And this is our greatest need. But where are the disciples? Well, where are they, and, and what are the disciples doing here? Well, verse 2 shows us that he, Jesus, saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Notice here the contrast between what Jesus was doing and what the disciples were doing. That Luke highlights for us that Jesus is teaching the crowds, and yet the disciples are just washing their nets— That Jesus is preaching the gospel, and yet the disciples are caught up in a normal day. This is something that they would do part of their routine every single day. That they're stuck and consumed with the mundane, ordinary routine of their life. And yet why include verse 2 here? Why does Luke highlight the difference between what Jesus was doing and what the disciples were doing? Well, I think it's because he wants us to see what Jesus does with Peter, James, and John. That Jesus interrupts Peter, James, and John, normal day, part of their routine. He interrupts that and calls them to follow him. Notice that these early disciples, they weren't at a conference at this time. They weren't at the Think Conference. They weren't at the synagogue They weren't reading their devotions, and yet Jesus invades the normalness of their day and calls them to follow him. I can't help but wonder today how many of us in this room can relate to Peter, James, and John. Do you feel stuck today in the normal, ordinary routine of your life? That perhaps for you today, life feels like a treadmill where you're busy and you're active, but you're not going anywhere with purpose. Do you feel stuck in the ordinary routine of your life? The routine of, of eight to five at work every day, just punching in, punching out. The routine of staying home with the kids all day, every day. The routine of being at school every single day. Can, can you relate to Peter, James, and John, just just washing their nets, just part of the ordinary routine of their day. That perhaps you might go to bed at night and and think to yourself, what what am I doing with my life? Do I have any purpose? Is is the highlight of my day just crossing things off my to-do list? Is this a normal day for you? Do you feel stagnant, complacent, just caught up, In your normal day. This is how Peter, James, and John must have felt here. And yet, what we see in this first section is that despite the normalness of their day, Jesus invades that and calls them to follow him. And he does the same thing for us. That no matter what the normal day looks like for you, no matter what your routine is, we are still called to follow Jesus. That's normal in the Christian life. That no matter what it is for you, so maybe today you, you might feel like your day is too normal or you're keeping Jesus out of your day. Well, this passage confronts us and calls us to be aware of Jesus even in the ordinary routine of our life. It's a normal day. Number two, section number two here that we see is a normal command. Command. Verses 4 through 7, as our passage moves here, we move from the crowds, and the passage narrows its focus on Peter and his friends, which will continue until verse 11. Now, in verses 4 and 5 here, we have Jesus turning to Peter, and he says, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, look at Peter's initial response here in verse 5. He says, Master, we toiled all night and caught nothing. Let me pause here for a moment. There, There is something astounding going on here. We have Jesus, who is a fisherman, or who is a carpenter, telling a professional fisherman what to do with his boats and what to do with his nets. Notice the hesitation in Peter's response. It's almost like in the beginning of this response here, you can almost hear Peter say, Jesus, it's okay to use my boat as a pulpit, but if you're going to use it as a fishing boat, then you have to listen to what I have to say. And we see Jesus starting to invade an area in which Peter was an expert in. And there's some tension here. There, there's a little bit of awkwardness going on here. It's almost like if, if you and I went on the golf course tomorrow. And I have to explain something real quick. My, my relationship with golf is very love-hate. I, I enjoy golf, but I'm really, really bad at it. Okay? But let's say we, we go on the golf course tomorrow... And we're, we're golfing, and, and you're just playing really, really well. You're paring every hole. And yet for me, what, what's a normal, typical day on the golf course, shooting sevens, eights, and nines after each hole. But let's say that after each shot, I'm critiquing you. I'm giving you some advice. I'm telling you what club to use and, and how to hold the club. How would you feel about that? You'd probably have some hesitations in taking my advice, wouldn't you? There'd probably be some awkwardness. Like, Chris, look at your score. You're, you're playing horribly. Play. This is probably what Peter felt here. That Peter, being a professional fisherman, Peter uh, just got done trying to fish all night and caught nothing, is, is receiving advice from a carpenter. Jesus is starting to invade an area where Peter's the expert, and there's some resistance. Now, do we do the same thing with God? Now, we, we may never say it out loud, but do we think to ourselves, Jesus, you, you don't know about the business life. Jesus, you don't know about my finances. Jesus, you don't know about parenting. You, you don't know about dating. Jesus, you don't know h- how to handle my worry. Why, why don't you keep to the whole church thing? Why don't you keep to the, to the spiritual issues? Because these other areas I'm an expert in. How often do we want to keep Jesus out of the areas of our life that we are experts in? And yet, notice what Peter does here. That even though Jesus the carpenter tells the fisherman Peter to get into the boat at the worst time to fish and into the deep parts of the water, which was the worst place to fish, and with fishing gear only to be used during the night, Peter still obeys This command from Jesus has failure written all over it, yet he still obeys Jesus. His response is, but at your word I will let down the nets. Because you say so, I will do it. Now this is the key to following Jesus. This is the normal Christian life, is that no matter how inconvenient the commands of God are, No matter how challenging they are, no matter how difficult they can be, the normal Christian life is to respond to the commands of Jesus and say, but at your word, I will do it. That is normal for us as followers of Jesus. All Peter had to go off of was Jesus' word. And yet notice how inconvenient this was for Peter. He just got done washing his nets His nets would have gotten dirty again. He had to drag the heavy nets back out there. He had to call his friends with him. They had to go back out into the water. This was extremely inconvenient for Peter. This was difficult. This was hard. And yet it is here that Peter is taken out of his comfort zone. It is here that Peter is challenged about how committed he will really be in following Jesus. And it is here that Jesus reveals his sovereignty, his power, and his authority. Now, let me unpack for us the verses three and four. Let me, let me dive a little bit deeper into this command. Now, In verse three, Jesus asks Peter to get into the boat in the shallow water. And we notice that that's an immediate yes from Peter. But when Jesus calls Peter to go into the deep water in verse four, there's some hesitation there that's a little bit more difficult for Peter to go out into the deep. That that was inconvenient for him. And as I was looking at this encounter between Jesus and Peter, couldn't help but ask myself the question, how much of my life is lived in the comfort of the shallow water in my obedience? That if the shallow water represents convenient obedience— where it's easy and it's comfortable and it makes sense to obey God, and the deep water represents inconvenience obedience, where it's difficult, where it's hard to obey Him. I find it in myself that it's easy to obey Him in the shallow water, and yet I find myself resisting in in the more difficult commands and following Him. I remember thinking and feeling this very thing when Lindsay and I adopted our daughter Ellie. A beautiful story. We don't have time to, to go into it, but we were struggling with infer- infertility for years. And when this opportunity to adopt Ellie just, just fell into our lap after, after praying about it. I remember as the opportunity came to us, we immediately thought, yes, like this makes sense. This is what God is calling us to. And we were in the shallow water there because we were praying about it. And as we went through the adoption process and and it quickly became very difficult and inconvenient and even painful at times, we sensed that God was moving us out of the shallow water and into the deep where it was hard to obey him. It was was hard to, to be faithful to what God was calling us to in adopting. How about you today? How much of your life is lived in, in the easy, shallow water of obedience. Do you ever just look at yourself in the mirror and, and think to yourself, Man, so much of my relationship with God is just easy. It's just, in, it's just convenient. It's, it's so easy to follow these commands of God because I'm not putting myself out into the deep. But when he starts to call you to following him when it's difficult and hard and inconvenient, do you shy away? That when God Ask you to share the gospel with a lost friend or a coworker or a neighbor, do you shy away? That when God asks you to repent of your favorite sin, of the sin that's so hard to give up, do you shy away from that? That when God asks you not to gossip at work, to maintain good ethics at work, do you shy away from those commands? Is the normal Christian life for you just hanging out on the shoreline of your obedience? Not so with Peter here. That Peter, despite receiving these difficult commands from Jesus, obeys him. That something happened with Peter here. That for for Peter, Jesus was no longer just this good teacher, but Jesus, in Peter's mind, was completely sovereign over every square inch of the universe. That Peter started to see Jesus as Lord over all creation. That Jesus and Jesus alone tells the fish where to swim. And we see that that is pulling Peter's obedience into the deep water, faithfully following him. Now what happens next in our passage? In verses 6 through 7, we see, And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats, so they began to sink." Now, how do we make sense about the amount of fish here? I just want just to caution us just, just a bit here. Let's be careful not to read too much into this. Let's be careful not to read symbolically something that might apply to fruit in our own catching of men. That although there is blessing that comes in our obedience, we are never promised an incredible amount of abundance when we obey God. And yet what's clear in this passage is that they receive the commands from Jesus and then they obey Jesus and they give the results to Jesus. And that's same with us. That in our obedience, we we notice here that that Peter's obedience didn't just impact him. He had to call his, his friends over and help pull in the fish. Same is true for us in our obedience and even our disobedience. That our obedience doesn't just impact us, but those around us. And so in this second aspect of, of this passage, we see that it is normal to follow the commands of Jesus, even when it is difficult. Now, the third section of our passage that I want to point out for us comes in verses 8 through 10, and this is a normal response, a normal response. Look with me at verses 8 and 9. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Now, after obeying the command of Jesus here, we see Peter catch an incredible amount of fish. This would have been his all-time record for Peter as a fisherman. Now, imagine if you're Peter here, if you're, if you're one of his friends if, if you're Peter, you just won the lottery. You just hit the jackpot. That as you're pulling in all of these fish, you're looking at dollar signs on each of these fish. But notice his reaction. That instead of looking to the crowds for approval and saying, look at me, look at me, we see that Peter's response is he falls down at the knees of Jesus and says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man. What? What? Peter, you you just won the lottery. They make reality TV shows out of this. I mean, if this was me, I'd be raising my hands up in the air saying, look at me, look at me. I'm the greatest fisherman ever. And yet Peter's response is, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Let's pause here for a moment. Is this the normal response to King Jesus? Is this typical? I mean, if if we covered up verse 8 here, and we see Peter catch this large amount of fish, and, and we ask each other, what do you think Peter's response is going to be? No one would anticipate this kind of response. Nobody would anticipate Peter falling to the knees of Jesus, saying, depart from me, for I am sinful. And yet, for those of us who are not committed to following Jesus, we read this verse And you might conclude, this is crazy. Peter, you're embarrassing yourself. Peter, this is way over the top. Your friends are watching. And yet those of us who are committed in following Jesus, we read this verse and we say, yes. Yes, this is a normal response to King Jesus. That when we experience Jesus, we are gripped with the reality of our sin. That we are undone before him. That we are found unworthy. And this is the normal response in the Christian life, that we see this all throughout Scripture, even in the Old Testament. Abraham, in Genesis 18, experiences the Lord and says, Away from me, Lord, I am but dust and ashes. Isaiah 6, is his famous response is, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. This is normal in the Christian life, to respond to Jesus in this way. And Peter declaring himself a sinner here nonetheless is important for the development of Luke's narrative. Uh, Jesus' commission to Peter, a sinner, lays the groundwork for Jesus' ministry of forgiveness and the growing reputation of Jesus as friend of sinners. And Luke explains further in chapter 7. This is the normal response to a holy God. Can you imagine for a moment if this was your typical, normal, consistent response to Jesus, I wonder how much that would change us. I wonder if we would no longer be be gripped with a fear of man, that we would no longer be gripped with anxiety and worry, but that we would be gripped with an awe of who Jesus is, that this is Master and King Jesus, Lord over all. And that is normal in the Christian life. Now, as you read this passage, have you ever wondered why Peter responds this way? I mean, why, why this moment? Surely Peter has heard of Jesus by now, that Jesus' popularity has grown all throughout the region. Peter knows that, that Jesus could be the Messiah here, that, that Jesus has performed miracles. He's casted out demons. And yet, for whatever reason, up until this moment, it didn't quite click for Peter this whole Jesus thing, it didn't, didn't quite make sense for him. And could this be true for some who are here this morning? That maybe this is your first time at church today, or maybe this is your 100th time at church, and yet this whole Jesus thing, this whole Christianity thing hasn't quite clicked for you, hasn't quite made sense why we make such a big deal about Jesus. Well, let me share why we make such a big deal about Jesus, that, that we were dead in our sins that we were unable to save ourselves, that we were objects of God's wrath. And yet 2,000 years ago, Jesus comes down to this earth. He lives a perfect, sinless life. He gets up on a cross, and he pays our penalty. He dies the death that we should have. He absorbed all of the wrath from the Father that we deserve, that should have been on us, and he took our place on the cross and three days later, he, he raised back to life. And so Easter for us, the reason why we make such a big deal about Jesus is that Easter is not just a one-day celebration for us. It's an everyday reality where we praise the name of Jesus because he's conquered sin and death and our enemy. That is why we make such a big deal about Jesus. So if you're here today and... It just hasn't quite made sense, and and maybe it's become clear to you, and you're wondering, how do I respond to that? Maybe today is the first day that that it's something stirring in your hearts to, to respond to him. Can I encourage you today to transfer your faith away from yourself and put it on the person and work of Jesus Christ? That today could be the day where it does make sense for you. And of course, if you want to talk further about that decision, we're going to have a group of people up here on the front that would love to talk to you about that, would love to encourage you, would love to pray with you. But something happened for Peter in this moment. It started to make sense. It started to click about who Jesus is. And yet in looking at at Peter's response, I I was so intrigued where he says to Jesus, depart from me. Isn't that interesting that as Peter was most convicted about his sin, most undone before God, his first reaction is to get away from Jesus. He wants the only person that can save him from his sin to leave him. Peter was so gripped with shame and and guilt. He he was so convicted that he just wanted to to get away from Jesus. And yet look at Jesus' response to Peter in verse 10. He says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. He says, from now on. What a powerful phrase. From now on. That with this phrase, Jesus emphasizes a break from the past and a new start. That Peter has a new purpose, a new identity, a new calling. That Christianity is a story of from now on. That if you've placed your faith in Jesus, that you have a from-now-on story. That no matter your past, no matter how much of your, of your past is gripped with sin and shame and guilt, no matter if your spiritual resume is just filled with, with sin, that you can have a from-now-on moment where your past is cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Do you need that today? Are you here And you look at your spiritual resume and it's just filled with sin. Do you need to be cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Could today be the day that you have a from now on moment with him? And Jesus gives Peter and the other disciples a new purpose, this fresh start. From now on, you'll be catching men. They're to make disciples. They are to invest in others spiritually. The verb here, to catch, literally means to capture alive or to spare life. Disciples will no longer catch dead fish in order to sell them in the marketplace, but will catch people, giving them freedom in a new life. That boats and nets will no longer be their tools, but the Word of God will be. That to be a follower of Jesus is to be fishers of men, it's to make disciples, it's to invest in other people spiritually. That we have not just been saved from something, but to something. And that's to catch other people spiritually. That those who have truly experienced and encountered the person of Jesus cannot contain him to themselves. They they always want to make Jesus available to other people. And I love how how Matthew puts this in in his recording of this scene. In chapter 4, verse 19, he says, "'Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men.'" Notice what he does not say here. He does not say, follow me and I'll make you comfortable. He doesn't say, follow me and I'll give you an easy life. He does not say, follow me and I'll help you keep your faith a secret from others. No, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will cause you to go and make disciples that this is normal in the Christian life. That this is a normal response to encountering Jesus, that we go and make disciples. That this is the normal response to King Jesus. Now as we get towards the end of our passage here, the climax in verse 11, look at the fourth section. This is a normal commitment, a normal commitment here. Let me read verse 11. It says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and followed him. They left it all. They left everything and followed him. Notice the commitment here. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, is this normal? Is this, does Jesus call each and every one of us to, to quit our jobs and sell all that we have and, and sign up for vocational ministry? Well, yes and no. No, in the sense that that's not the normal pattern in the New Testament, but yes, in the, in the sense that we should be willing to surrender everything and follow Jesus, that, that, that this should be the posture of our hearts, that if God asks you to sell all that you have, that you'll say, yes, I will do everything and anything to follow you, that this is the normal commitment. This must be the posture of our hearts. Now, what is the basis of this commitment from these early disciples. Why are they just following Jesus? Well, it's because of the words of Jesus and the greatness of Jesus that we see. That Jesus says, you'll catch men. That this commitment is following Jesus. I, I know it's so easy to miss that. That this is normal in the Christian life. We follow Jesus. That if you're going on a business trip next weekend, you're following Jesus. Jesus. If you're with the kids all day, you're following Jesus. If you're stuck in the classroom at school, you're following Jesus, that we follow Jesus. This is normal in the Christian life, and yet it's so easy to miss that. It's so easy to get caught up in the routine of our day and miss Jesus. And what led Peter, James, and John to surrender everything and commit to following him is because of how great Jesus is that Jesus was offering something more, something more than what the Pharisees were offering, something more than just behavior modification, something more than just moralism and following a spiritual to-do list. But Jesus was, was calling them to surrender every department, every arena of their life and follow him. That is normal in the Christian life, that Jesus was calling them to die to themselves. And he does the same for us. That Jesus calls us as as we follow him to die to ourselves, to die to our comfort, to die to our security, to die to our insecurity, to, to die to our fear. That Jesus is our new master, that he is the one who calls the shots in our life. I love how David Platt puts this. He says, we live in a world where everything revolves around self, protect yourself, promote yourself, preserve yourself, entertain yourself, comfort yourself, take care of yourself. Yet Jesus said, slay yourself, die to yourself. Isn't this contrary to our culture? This is so counterintuitive. To no longer advance yourself, to no longer promote yourself, but to surrender and die to yourself. Do you remember the question that That was asked in the beginning, have you had a similar experience in your own life as these disciples? Have you? Have you had the type of encounter and experience with Jesus where you have surrendered everything and you follow him? Can you imagine for a moment if this passage, with, with everything that has gone on, if verse 11 read this way, and when they brought their boats to land, they left only some of their things and followed him. Or what about this? And when they had brought their boats to land, they left their boat but not their fishing nets and only followed Jesus one day a week. Can you imagine reading this passage, everything that's gone on, we'd say, no, 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 that's not how you respond to King Jesus, that Jesus demands everything. He demands every area of your life to be surrendered to following him. Yet the question is, would that more accurately describe your life today? Have you surrendered every area of your life? Are you fully committed to following him? Or perhaps for you, maybe the normal Christian life for you is, is this on and off button in, the, in life, that you turn it on when you're at church. You turn it on when you're with your Christian friends. You, you turn it on when you're doing your devotions. But when you're away from your Christian friends, when you're away from church, when, when you're home, you, you turn it off. On, off, on, off. On, off? Does that describe the normal Christian life for you? Remember the illustration that we used early on about, about New York City, about the problem is that they, they don't know what normal is supposed to look like. What, what about you today in, in the Christian life? Have you gained a better understanding of what the normal Christian life is supposed to look like? Are you surrendering every area of your life? What, what is keeping you from becoming more committed, from surrendering it all. Maybe to put it differently, what arena of your life does Jesus look at and say, that's not mine yet because you haven't surrendered it to him? And maybe you're thinking to yourself, I, Chris, I'm, I'm not good enough. I, I'm not good enough to join Jesus' team. I, I've got too much sin in my life. I'm not, I'm not worthy to be part of his team But that's exactly who Jesus wants on his team. It's people who realize that they're not good enough, that they aren't worthy to be part of his team. See, Peter was confronted with his great need for Jesus, that he realized that he was bankrupt spiritually, that he was unworthy. What about you today? What do you need to surrender to Jesus? What do you need to give up to become a more committed follower of him? What what do you need to align in what we see in the New Testament and in this passage of what the normal Christian life looks at? And maybe for you, your your next step is to place your faith in Jesus, that that maybe you haven't done that. Maybe you haven't trusted in him. Maybe, Maybe you can do that today. Maybe today is your from now on moment we would love to talk to you about what that looks like here. And maybe for others of you, you need to surrender in a particular area or arena of your life that you haven't yet. Maybe it's what you look at on the computer. Maybe it's how you use your money. Maybe it's idolizing a certain kind of image that you want. Maybe it's obsessing over success and accomplishments. Maybe it's how you use your words. What, what do you need to surrender to Jesus today? And let me encourage you not to leave this place without doing business with God. To not just rush out of here and, and go on to lunch and, and forget about what God is exposing you in this moment. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for Promise of your word, that your word does not come back void. God, we thank you that your word feeds us, that it guides us, that it convicts us, that it, it encourages us. God, thank you that your word points us to the greatness of Jesus. So today I pray for the people in this room. Lord, I pray that you would continue to stir in them a response, not because of a sermon, but because of the greatness of Jesus. God, would you save people here today? Would you call people to repentance and faith? Would you add number to your kingdom? We pray for your glory and in your name.
2: Let's just keep an attitude and a moment of quiet reflection. Keep your head bowed and your Your eyes closed for a moment. Why you? Why this Sunday? Why this text? That's what we all need to think about. And what does it mean to really follow Jesus? I'd like to take a moment and just have you talk to the Lord about what arena of life the Lord has not invaded, you've kept him out of, or some other application of the on or off switch in your life. Can you just take a moment, quietly, and talk to the Lord? King Jesus, we acknowledge that your supremacy and your rule over all things demands far more than what we practically allow. And we want on this Lord's Day to recommit and to renew within our hearts what it means for us to really follow you, to pursue you, to be known as your disciples, and to not be guilty of turning it on, and then turning it off. And so we are grateful for this word. We receive it with gladness because we have needed to be reminded of what it looks like to be a follower of yours. Help us now, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.